We're also going to be reading at 1 Kings 22, just a verse there as well. But both passages of Scripture share the story of the fourth king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat is generally regarded as one of the great kings of the Old Testament. Um, some are familiar with the story of Jehoshaphat's victory over the Moabites. And, and our passage of Scripture comes directly after this. Second Chronicles 20, reading in verse 35, it says, And after this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, he allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And verse 36, and he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion Geber. Verse 37, but Eliezer, the son of Dodava and Maresha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. And then the ships were wrecked, so they were not able to go to Tarshish. First Kings 22, 48, one verse here, Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed for the ships. They were wrecked at Ezion Geber. The New Living Translation says it like this, the ships, they never set sail, for they met with disaster in their home port. And the title of my message today is this, Disaster in the Home Port. Disaster in the home port. Amen. You may be seated. If you'll spend a little bit of time around me, you will come to know that, that I love to spend time in two places, in the woods and in and around the water. With my dad being from Miami, many of our childhood vacations and still to this day are spent in Florida. And most of our activities on vacation in Florida revolve around the water. Not only do we enjoy a beautiful beach, but also swimming or snorkeling, scuba diving, boating, fishing, all of these activities. And if you've ever been either on a charter boat or maybe on a special occasion, you took a cruise, you most likely took off from a port. A port is a town or a city along a coastline where ships load or unload cargo. Ports are a docking location for ships that need repairs and refueling and even routine maintenance. Most ports have connection to railroad networks. Thank God those are up and running today in the United States to receive and to transport cargo. But usually a port is located within a harbor where ships may take refuge from the storms. But simply put, the purpose of a port revolves around the vessels, the ships that are within. Now, the busiest ports in the world to this day are all shipping container ports, and the number one shipping port is in Shanghai, China, with about two thousand ships coming and going every month through that port. And each ship can carry a little over 9,000 shipping containers, an estimate of around 18 million containers going through 
that one port each month. Now, in the Bible, the ancient ports would not compare in size or scale or have near the number of ships coming and going. But one historical record states that the queen of Sheba, who was alive during the time of Solomon, had 400 ships in her fleet. But the Bible tells us that Solomon was the richest and the wisest king and ruler in that day. And he also had a fleet of ships, and I'm sure it was of substantial size. We first see mention of Solomon's fleet of ships in 1 Kings 9 and 2 Kings 8. And Solomon, he had built up some resemblance of a military, a navy, and also a trade route. He had merchant ships as well. The location that he built up as a port was on the Red Sea. And the ships of the Bible, over time, they evolved into reliable and sophisticated vessels for that time period. The advancement of these vessels was a great step forward. With such ships, they transformed the Mediterranean and the Red Sea from barriers to now productive highways. Seafaring played a role in advancing and developing civilization of that time. The ancient seas became communication and transportation conduits for culture and merchandise and information. But as a result, these seafaring vessels were built with great care, with great time, with intentional design, and with a very special purpose. And here today, Atlanta West, in light of this message, I believe that every person that is here today, every soul is comparable to a valuable vessel. And I want you to know that you too were made with great design and that you were made with great intention, that you are God's special creation. Amen? God said in his word that he formed you in the womb before he even knew you. He knew that. In fact, not only were you created by God, but you were formed in his image, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1. But I don't know if that means anything at all to you or not, but hear me today. Yes, there is one God, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? And he created the heavens and the earth, and he created you. And I want you to hear today that, yes, he loves you, and he died for you. And guess what? God never made a mistake, and he never will. Amen? You are not a mistake in the eyes of God. Your life is not a mistake. It is special, and you are special to God. You were made with great intention and great design. And I want you to know today that you are also a part of more than just a fleet of ships coming and going to port, docked away in some obscure harbor. That once you are born of the water and spirit, as Pastor John's mentioned the importance of earlier today, as Jesus references well in John 3, 5, once you are saved, you are joined together, a part of the body of Christ, the church 
of the Most High God. And you may feel somewhat disconnected or isolated or alone, but I want to remind you that you are a part of something so much bigger than yourself. Amen? And I know for a fact, if you will put forth the effort, there is a body of believers here today, amen, with open arms, ready to receive you into the family of God. You may say, I'm far from perfect. Well, perfect because neither are we, amen? You may say you have issues. Well, that's not an issue because so do we. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but he saved us, amen, and he redeemed us, and he brought us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And finally, I I want you to know that as a vessel of honor of the king of kings, you are also made with great purpose. The Bible tells us that you are a a chosen generation, a, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own people. And in fact, God said in Jeremiah 2911 in the NLT said, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good. And hear this today. They are not for disaster, but to give you a future and to give you hope. I want everyone to hear me today that you matter to God. You matter to the kingdom of God. You matter to this church. And I want you to know that God, he is with you. God is with your families. God is for you and for your families. And because your life was made with great care, intention, and designed by God, because God has a great purpose and a plan for your life and for your children, I felt impressed to preach to you that your home port matters to God. And your home port should matter to you. The environment and the influences in your home port can determine the outcome of your relationship with God. And the purpose that he has for you and your home port today. It's vital that with great intention, church, that that you put in the hard work to make sure that the home port is a safe harbor from the storms of life. To make sure that your home port is a place where you and your family, if applicable, can heal and can recover and be refueled after life, which it will wear and rain down on you. You need to make sure that your home port is a place where you can receive restoration and help and maintenance when life starts breaking you down. Make sure that you build up yourself and your home port in the most holy faith because I promise you that storms will come. The Bible says that winds of false doctrine will come. Ungodly agendas and attacks of the enemy will blow and try to toss you and your family about and bring disaster into the home port. But I pray that our church would say today, but as for me and as for my house And as for my home port, we will serve the Lord. I will be diligent about defending, about developing the home port. 
Man, understanding the importance and the value of the home port. I want to take a closer look at the life and the story of Jehoshaphat. And I want you to see how the alliances and the ambitions of your life will either develop you into what God wants you to be and your family to be, or they will bring disaster into the home port. A summary of the life and the legacy of King Jehoshaphat, it's shared in 1 Kings 22 and 41. It says, Jehoshaphat, he was the son of King Asa, and he was 35 years old when he began to rule as the king. He was a good king, the Bible tells us. He was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He removed the pagan shrines and the Asherah poles from Judah. He banished male and female shrine prostitutes that had come into the land. He strengthened the home port. He strengthened Judah to stand against any attack from Israel. And the Bible says the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years and he did not worship the images of Baal. He sought his father's God and he obeyed his commands instead of following the practices of the kingdom of Israel of that time. So the Lord, he established Jehoshaphat's control over Judah, in the third year of his reign, the Bible tells us he sent officials to teach in all the towns of Judah. And they took copies of the book of the law of the Lord. And they traveled around through the towns teaching the people. What an incredible effort by Jehoshaphat. And he built fortresses. He built storage cities throughout Judah. He stored supplies and stationed an army of seasoned troops at Jerusalem. And early... In his reign, we see an incredible display of faith and trust in God by Jehoshaphat. We see great intention by the king to create a safe and a secure home port and to establish, defend, and develop the vessels that were there. And as a result, the fear of the Lord fell all over the surrounding kingdom so that none of them wanted to declare war on Jehoshaphat. He became more and more powerful as a result of his actions and godly decisions. He received blessings and he received riches because of those intentional decisions. And I want to remind and I want to encourage someone today that the principles and the plan that are laid out in the word of God, that they do work. They are a firm foundation that you can establish your life and your family and your home port on. The word of God works. Amen. So I want to challenge you to keep being faithful to his word. Keep hanging on to his promises. Don't be discouraged church. Amen. Don't be discouraged mom. Don't be discouraged dad. Don't give up on the home port because God is faithful to his word and God is faithful to his promises. As time went on Unfortunately, Jehoshaphat, he became a victim of this success. And the Bible tells us he became careless with his actions and his decisions. Second Chronicles 18 says, after some years, 
he went down to visit King Ahab in Samaria. I don't know if it was arrogance, if it was curiosity, if he felt untouchable or impenetrable, but Jehoshaphat had no business going down to visit Ahab. Ahab was renowned for his evil ways. 1 Kings 16 and 21 tells us that Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. There was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. He was wicked, he was evil, and he was corrupt. God knew it, and no doubt Jehoshaphat knew it, and he should have known better than to fellowship with Ahab, let alone being yoked and joined together with him. But we read that Jehoshaphat, he made an alliance with Ahab of Israel by having his son Jehoram marry Ahab's daughter, which of course is also the daughter of Ahab's wife, who was the notoriously evil and wicked queen Jezebel. What was he thinking? A question my dad would often ask my, my brothers as kids and quickly would answer his own questions. I know you weren't thinking. You weren't thinking, Jehoshaphat. You went down to visit evil, wicked Ahab. And we read in this chapter that Ahab persuaded and enticed Jehoshaphat to go to war against Romath Gilead. And this is what Jehoshaphat said. He said, I am as you are. You and I are as one. He said, my people are your people and we will be with you in the war. Mind-blowing, the words, the statement of Jehoshaphat, and in his carelessness, he invited the enemy into his own royal court, and through this, he joined together in war. It was clearly an unholy alliance. Amen? 2 Corinthians 6.14, it tells us as the people of God, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The NLT says don't team up with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. Church, it doesn't matter if you have served Lord for a long time or you were just saved. It doesn't matter what you have done for the Lord in the past or you're just beginning. It doesn't matter the victories and the blessings in the Lord you may have experienced. There should never come a point in our lives, in our families, in our walks with God where we compromise our values, our principles, our doctrine for anyone or anything. Amen. There should never come a point where we begin to let our spiritual guard down. The Bible says, let him who thinks he stands to take heed. Be careful lest he fall. The Bible tells us that we should watch and pray lest we enter into temptation. Church, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
The word of God says that you trust in the Lord with all of your heart. But do not when it comes to your life and with your decisions and with your alliances and your relationships to lean unto your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. Because Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Because of this unholy alliance, the war with King Ahab was a disaster. It was also a cowardly setup by Ahab using Jehoshaphat as a decoy. As you read this story, he, he told Jehoshaphat, you go ahead, you wear your royal robes. Go ahead and stick out like a sore thumb and, and I will just disguise myself. And Jehoshaphat, he realized in the heat of battle what he had allowed, what he had done, how far he had come. And the Bible says he cried out to the Lord. And by the mercy of God, he was saved. And God helped him by turning the attackers away. When the king of Jehoshaphat arrived home, Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, he went out to meet him. He said, why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? What are you thinking, Jehoshaphat? What are you doing? Because of what you have done, the Lord is very angry with you. He said, even so, he said, there is some good in you. There are some here today that have begun to allow by some method or another unholy alliances in your home port. And maybe deep down, you may have not admitted it to others, yet you know there have been some areas of compromise in your faith or in your family. And you may not have acknowledged it to your family, to anyone else today, but I'm telling you, church, the word of God, so strong in my heart to bring you today, the spirit of God are bringing an awareness to some unholy alliances in the home port. But the good news is today, we serve a God full of grace and full of mercy. And there is a space of grace today to repent, to make some changes before disaster comes in the home port. After this great wake-up call, Jehoshaphat, he returns to putting God first and back to making wise decisions, strengthening his kingdom his home port to the best of his ability. And the Lord continues to bless Jehoshaphat and Judah. When the armies of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Mennites declared war, the Bible tells us God honored his decisions. And he was with his people and remind them with a special word of encouragement because of their priorities and putting God first. He said, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this multitude, but the battle is not yours, but famously said, but it is God's. Amen. The Lord brought a great victory to Judah and blessed them in the process. And King Jehoshaphat, his men gathered the plunder and vast amounts of equipment and clothing that it took them three days. And on the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing. It got its name that day, the Valley of Blessing, because the people praised and thanked God there. The Bible tells us Jehoshaphat's kingdom, it was at peace. For his God had given him rest on every side. 
At the end of his story, we read a summary of Jehoshaphat's life. We read of his accomplishments and how he was a good king and how he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. But then, sadly, we read of one more unholy alliance that was driven by ungodly ambition. Brings us back to our opening text, 2 Chronicles 20 and 35. It says, after this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion Geber. I previously spoke to unholy alliances with King Ahab, and Jehoshaphat learned a lesson, we, so it seems, but Ahaziah was the wicked son of Ahab. You can't make this stuff up. With Ahab, it was an unholy alliance for military power. But now, with Ahaziah, it seems it was ungodly ambition was now economic. If you remember, I was speaking about ships and vessels and trade routes and King Solomon and all that he had done. And the location that he built up at the Red Sea was that same location of Ezion Geber, Ahaziah, and Jehoshaphat wanted to resurrect that fleet that garnered Solomon and Hiram so much wealth to fetch gold from Ophir. After all that God had done through Jehoshaphat, after all that he had accomplished, after all the blessings and the wealth that he had accrued, it just wasn't enough. I'm sure the legend of Solomon loomed large and the desire to be known. Jehoshaphat was blinded by ungodly ambition, but apparently he could not achieve the success he wanted. So we see another unholy alliance with another wicked king driven by ungodly ambition. Philippians 2.3 says this, church, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Romans 2 and 5 tells us that a day is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed for what we have done. And God will pour out of his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves and those who refuse to obey the truth and live lies of wickedness. And we see how this came true for Jehoshaphat in our opening text, Second Chronicles 20, 37. But Eliezer, the son of Dodava and Maresha prophesied against Jehoshaphat saying, because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. The ships were wrecked. They were not able to go to Tarshish. Again, 1 Kings 22, Jehoshaphat made ships to go to Ophir, but they never sailed for they were wrecked. They were met with disaster in their home port. No matter how blessed by the Lord you may be, if your ambitions are not guarded and God-focused, they will lead to your family's downfall and disaster 
in the home port. And that is why I want to encourage you today by the word of God. As holy vessels of the king to focus on godly ambitions. 2 Corinthians 5, 9-7 says, Therefore, we must make it our aim, our goal, our ambition, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to the works that he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God and also trust are well known in your consciousness. Church, hear me. Matthew 24 reminds us to tell us that heaven and earth will one day pass away. That dream job, that career is going to pass away. That prized education, that hobby, that game, that wealth, that retirement status, that relationship, it's all going to pass away. But what we lay up in heaven and the word of God will remain for all eternity. God, help us to be ambitious about the things of God. God, help our families, our church, our home port to be God-centered. And God focused in all that we do. Pearl Harbor is the famous U.S. naval bait and sea port near Honolulu, Hawaii. The scene of, of the devastating surprise attack by Japanese forces, December 7, 1941. Just before 8 a.m., that Sunday morning, hundreds of Japanese fighter planes descended on the base. More than 2,400 Americans died in the attack, including civilians. Another 1,000 people were wounded. In less than two hours, the surprise attack was over, and every battleship in Pearl Harbor, the seaport, had sustained significant damage. And in all the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor crippled or destroyed 20 American ships and more than 300 planes before they even left the home port. Dry docks and airfields were also destroyed. And as I mentioned, 2,403 sailors, soldiers were killed that day. Early on the morning of December 7th, George Elliott manning that radar equipment the northern tip of Oahu, just after 70, noticed this large blip on the radar, something to indicate a rather large flight. Another lieutenant that he reported to, Kermit Tyler, quick to dismiss as, uh, the blip as a dozen B-17 bombers arriving from San Francisco. But it was, in fact, 183 fighters that Elliot had spotted on the radar. A few hours later, the tragic events of the day started to unfold. A judgment call, had it, had it gone the other way, may have prevented the complete surprise of the bombardment. It's safe to assume that even if he had heeded those warnings, attack would, would still have been devastating. But, but some sort of preparation, even 10 minutes notice, might have saved the lives of those who were unprepared. The day after the assault, President 
Franklin D. Roosevelt asked Congress to declare war on Japan, and he shared these words. Yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. And he went on to say, no matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. He said, I believe I interpret the will of Congress and of the people when I assert that we will not only defend ourselves to the utmost, but we will make very certain that this form of treachery shall never endanger us again. Sadly, evil is real and it exists to this day. Spiritual evil exists as well. And the enemy would like nothing more to bring disaster into the home port. The enemy wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy, to bring disaster to the vessels that God has created and God has designed for his special purpose. And I pray the word of God today would speak clearly about unholy alliances and ungodly ambition and whatever may come against the home port. Church, I'm here to tell you today, do not underestimate the power and the influence and the effect of the home. Don't overlook the credible threats and the attacks especially through media, especially through social media, which is taking down our youth in record numbers. Do not underestimate the wisdom and the craftiness of the enemy. We read that Jehoshaphat had enough of a foundation that he weathered the storm. He had enough of a strong home port To make it through and was honored and regarded as a good king. But I'm here to tell you today. But tragically his son did not. Jerome didn't follow the examples of righteousness. But he followed the examples of the kings of Israel that were wicked. 2 Chronicles 21.5 says Jerome was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years. But Jerome followed the example of the kings of Israel. And he was as wicked as King Ahab. For he had married one of Ahab's daughters. That marriage wasn't Jehoram's decision. That came from an unholy alliance that his father had allowed in the home port that Jehoshaphat made with Ahab. And as a result, the Bible says, so Jehoram, he did evil in the Lord's sight. Hear me, you may have grown up in the truth. You may have a strong foundation. You are still living on and clinging to that home port environment. But if you do not establish that in your home port now, 
The next generation of vessels will not have the same foundation. They will not have the same strength and safety and security that you have. They may not weather the storms. They may not complete their journey of faith. Because what one generation will tolerate, the next generation they will embrace and I'm pleading with you today don't overlook and underestimate the credible threats and the attacks of the enemy like President Roosevelt stated we must defend our home port to the uttermost no matter how long it will take us to overcome in our righteous might we will win this fight I have come to share the word of God to be mindful of ungodly alliances and the unholy ambitions of your life that you allow to affect the home port. They come in the the form of friendship, of relationship, hobby, work, education, gaming, social media, media. But we, we must be diligent in prayer and fasting and staying full of the spirit of God. We must stay full of the word of God. We must seek godly counsel and wisdom to make sure that we do not allow and carelessly and aimlessly allow ungodly alliances and unholy ambition to bring disaster in the home port. If you're able, please stand with me today. And I want you to know, church, that God He has something so special in store for your life. He has something so great planned and designed for your future and the future of your families and the future of your children. But don't allow disaster of what is next, that next season of life. Don't allow disaster to come to your relationship with God. The next adventure in ministry. The next generation of our church. We have not yet tapped into the full potential of God's power. We have not yet tapped into his heavenly resources. So I challenge you today to make a commitment to put God first in all that you do. If needed, I encourage you to start Some things over. The mercies of God are new every day. You can start afresh and anew today to rearrange what you have tried to do on your own. And in the presence of God, maybe take a step back today. Let there be sincere evaluation of what that has been birthed out of your will and not his will. And if needed to repent, if you've made some disastrous decisions in your life. But God, help us to have eyes that see and not overlook that which could be a threat to the purpose and the destiny that you have for us, for our church, and for our families.